Space Cave, the big warg to all these space burgers out there. And I think I said this last time, but just in case I didn't, thanks to all of you for the nice notes and uh, warm wishes and things like that during my time of feeling unwell. But I'm back and feeling great now, and hopefully we'll keep the show on track. Apologies for the little uh, hiatus. In theory, there won't be any more, but who knows. For now, though... We'll, uh, we'll keep putting them out on track and try to avoid little gaps like that, which thus far the show hasn't had many. Uh, this is a part two of a chat that I thoroughly enjoyed, and I hope you did as well. A genuinely fascinating person. You can uh, look up some of his stuff, thensomethingnew.com, also on Instagram, thensomethingnew. Ben Ellis is just a delight to chat with, and thanks again to Jeremy Ross, Here's part two of that chat. So I teased it a little bit in the last time. Just getting more into yeah. the tech to a certain yeah. But I just think about it from like <clears throat> probably everyone listening's point of view of this sort of, and you probably get this from time to time, this sort of Tony Starkish like I picture almost like a layer where you have cool chairs, cool monitors around. And then when you jam whatever music i'm assuming it there's a, a range but just oh it's getting a wide range yeah i mean i grew up in chattanooga tennessee so i went to bonnaroo for like eight years you know from <laughs> the age of four age of 15 to, to 20 you know <laughs> yeah a wide range of music yeah but does it have to be real loud like do you just have to be or do you like it do you have candles lit what, what's the what's the environment like as you are i'm gonna write code for eight hours straight no one bother me i got some coffee and maybe a snack and here i go yeah, so when I was working at uh, Virgin Hyperloop One, I, I kind of shifted a lot of of you know how I was working and operating in a space. That one was a little bit uh, more difficult or a little bit more challenging to find the right fit, just because it's a big open office floor plan, mm-hmm. which ultimately means when you're trying to find the right fit to work in, you kind of have to come up with solutions that allow yourself to be flexible, right? Because the environment is always around you is always going to change. Mm-hmm. So for me, the way that I worked was uh, I had multiple pairs of headphones. Some of them were open back, so I could hear you know conversations coming in and I wasn't as isolated. Some of them were those new Sony wireless noise canceling headphones, which if you haven't tried them out, uh-huh. they are the greatest. They absolutely <laughs> remove like any sound from anything. Yeah. So you can put those on and just like shunk, uh, shut down and, and go into your thing. Um, but I think the biggest benefit that I actually had uh, in my own personal way of working was finding the benefit and being really comfortable with the benefit of taking time throughout the day to help myself. Right. So if I'm working throughout the day, If I go into work at 9 a.m., by 3 p.m., I could not be feeling like I want to work for any number of reasons. Maybe I didn't get enough sleep the last night. Maybe I just had a had a tough phone call with family members. You know, maybe I, you know, maybe just the power went out at home or there could be any number of factors. But when you say go into work, you you don't have like a little space in your 
house or apartment where you're doing the majority of this you're you're you have an office I, i can work from anywhere i mean when i was doing international sales i had to be working like one time i had to work from the inside of the israeli defense complex in downtown tel aviv a week (laughs) after there were being rocket fires from you know into the city and that one was a little bit crazy because they were like look at the walls that's the way the missiles come if you hear an alert you need to duck and cover so like i feel like i can work from anywhere so you know i have this backpack you saw when i brought it in there's so much stuff in there there's chargers there's headphones there's like my journals my tarot deck like everything in there it's a hearty backpack it's a hearty backpack because you know, I like to be more in a situation if I can work from anywhere. I have these tools that can get me into that flow. So it's just a matter of deploying those tools and whatever means I see fit. Um, so in a lot of those ways, it's just bringing things that bring me joy, like total Marie Kondo. Just bring things that bring you joy <laughs> and just have them ready to go when you feel that you want to adjust course one way or the other. So as an example, when I was working at Hyperloop, if you're at like 3 p.m. and you're feeling like a little bit sluggish, you're kind of knowing, you know that you're not performing at your best and you know you've got a couple more hours left in the day. That's the time when I go, I'm going to go across the street to a coffee shop get a cortado i was at the time it was right across the street from maru coffee which makes some of the best coffee ever and more importantly they have uh, coffee in these little ceramic cups mm-hmm. that just warm up you know so japanese it's like it warms up perfectly and you put your hands around it and it, I like it you, it's a it's a much more ritualistic type of experience of going and getting that coffee literally a ritual experience of filling up your own cup you know of joy and love and spirituality so i would go out of the office for 10 15 minutes get this coffee turn everything off enjoy filling myself back up knowing that when i went back into the office at 3 15 i'd be a lot better person than i was at three o'clock mm-hmm. which taking 15 minutes to go out and do that even if it's 20 minutes or 30 minutes some days it might be an hour but ultimately when you come back you're going to be performing better than you would have ever if what you didn't are the take 10 that break. minutes prior to you leaving like is it you sitting there at the just looking at a, a cursor blinking or is it like I can't stop because this is going so great and I hate to do it, but I got to stop or somewhere in between there. I think it, it really comes down to when I just feel off, you know, you're kind of feeling like not when I'm in the flow, if I'm in the flow, it's like, man, we're jamming. I could be here until it runs up. But then you kind of feel like those moments, like something's just not clicking. I don't know what's not clicking. Let's not beat yourself for not knowing what's not clicking, but Mm -hmm. instead know that you have an avenue to help yourself feel better and circle back around to, to that. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like saying you know the track you're on isn't correct and you know that there's another track over there so you might as well just go for that other track right yeah. you know the one that you're on isn't working you know the other track might lead to something or it might lead you back but ultimately it's just a change of pace it's a ritualistic yeah. it's definitely following um you know that joseph campbell type philosophy of like hey just do something ritualistic to force yourself and your perspective to change when and I'm, go and do that i do some wood stuff and when i'll have a piece or a, something that's not making sense, whether it's a, a measurement or yeah. a, a linkage or something like that. And I'll just be standing there and then I'll find myself going like, I've been standing here for like five minutes. Yeah. Just sort of thinking, yeah, that's not, that's not moving things forward. So right. I'll just find another thing to do that. I'm, and usually just by being busy doing that, oh, totally. that's it. Totally. What you're almost doing at that end. This is a big, uh, discussion point particularly in user experience design is you can describe those moments as diverging and converging Mm -hmm. so you you kind of think of it as a diamond on a timeline that's converging is the 
the left or right point of that diamond and the diverging is when it's really big and expanded at the top and the middle. So yeah. when you're focused on that woodworking piece, you're converging. You're converging to do a specific action on a specific item to do a specific result. Mm-hmm. And then that doesn't work. So you're still trying to converge like, ah, screw, <laughs> let me try a bolt. Let me try a screw. Let me try yeah. cutting it more, right? You're converging on that thing. And ultimately what you do when you step away is you're now in a divergent mode. So now that you're not specifically focused on that little element of wood and screwing something into the board you're now allowing your mind to think in a broader picture to throw out multiple multiple answers a lot of it's happening some subconsciously some of it's happening directly in the front of your consciousness some things you're just going about your experience and you're identifying things from that experience that can relate to the thing that you were originally trying to solve Either way, any way you want to describe it, you're diverging. You're allowing multiple experiences to flood into you to give you ideas to then take back to the convergent moment of trying to do that specific action and thing. And then once you start to identify that what you're doing is you're diverging and converging, you can even use that to the same example that I was using with giving of taking coffee. You can say, hey, I'm trying to converge on doing my work and doing the task that was assigned to me to get paid and do work and do the thing. Ultimately, that's not working because I'm in a state of convergence, I need to briefly open myself out to a state of divergence. And people do that any number of ways. You see people at at work and they're all just like sitting around, huddled around a couple desks, having fun, showing each other YouTube (laughs) videos. They're still working, right? I mean, they're still at office. They still have have the problems floating around in their head. They're not directly applying them to the solution, but they're definitely still working. And it's just becoming more present and, and appreciative of knowing that your process is a divergence converging and converging process and when it converges again for you to solve that thing you're going to be able to recognize it and you're going to say oh man things are converging i've got my wood i've got my screws i've got my my <laughs> saw you know and you're just like i'm going to do it right now and that's when the moments that you just go into the garage do it yeah and it's done but ultimately for you to go down that type of path you have to feel confident that it's not working now. I'm not going to force myself into doing it. And conversely, when you feel like it is going to work, feel confident in stopping what you're doing and going and doing that thing and getting it done. Nice. I like it. I think I want to ask you one question and then, yeah. but first I was going to tack this on, which I think is like, we all know that about convergence subconsciously on some level where people right. will go like, I'm going to get into, and then whatever X is. So if they, <laughs> they're going to snowboard, they've got hats and goggles and gloves yeah. and da, 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 da. Yeah. And they set it all out and then they just never quite get in the car. Or, you know, right. like, so you're converging and getting like, we begin in that way where we know like, well, this is what it takes. Right. But then so the, the next little like shoving that boulder is the best part. Because once all those things start to yeah. come together. Yeah. So for you, the question was going to be, so we've, Picture you there, headphones, writing away. And maybe we've got like the example from the previous episode of the uh, dashboard. Yeah. And so you've got some, maybe some modeling, or even if it's really rudimentary at this point, you know, like, okay, I want this to come out at me. Mm-hmm. And you're typing away and you got your semicolons and I don't know what other kind of if, thens, or loops or yeah, whatnot, yeah, yeah. but yeah. you're writing yeah. code. And then you hit enter and it doesn't do it. Maybe it rotates one degree or yeah. oscillates or something. You go, yeah. yeah. And then take the headphones off or you scan your code again and then find the little missing ingredient and then it comes out and it does it. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. That's a lot of it. Is that in any way accurate? It's really good. I think the thing that I'm going to latch on to is let's, let's change the conversation a little bit from what we're trying to do, you know, cause what we're essentially doing is, is we're answering a question of what, of a why and a how, right? Mm-hmm. So why are we trying to do a dashboard display, right? Mm-hmm. 
Well, we want to do a dashboard display because someone's driving around a 5,000 pound car down the road at 80 miles an hour and they need to know certain things to feel comfortable driving that car down the road at 80 miles an hour. The how is that I'm using code and, uh, you know, writing the code, taking pictures, doing 3D models, doing all the animations to invoke a certain feeling in a customer. Okay. So we, we kind of have to diverge the why and the how, right? Because the how really isn't important, right? We can come up with a bajillion hows. Really? So as an exa- just Yeah, a, as an example, like your dog needs to go for a walk at some point during mm-hmm. the day, right? That's, that's, that's a why because the dog needs to go to the bathroom, right? So like think about the dog goes for a walk because it needs to go to the bathroom, right? If we break it down to just the dog needs to go to the bathroom two times a day, dog could go to the bathroom any number of ways. It might not be a walk even, Yeah. you know? So we want to think about the the why and then the how. So if we're if we're focused on something and the how isn't working, right? Like errors in the code, the images aren't matching up, the experience isn't quite right. We can focus on improving and fixing that how, but ultimately we also have to be very comfortable in knowing why we're doing this. Because maybe the thing that we're trying to do might not be the solution that we should be doing. And in us butting up against challenges, that might actually be just a new opportunity for us to look back at why are we doing this? These ways didn't work. And that's when you can get a moment of inspiration to, to take it down another path or another road Mm -hmm. and really what that comes down to in addition to separating it between the why and the how is you also have to become way more observant about the feelings and the emotions that you're trying to capture right because even in the in the example of a dashboard of someone driving a car yes they need to see how fast they're going but why do they need to see how fast they're going Mm -hmm. if it's in the example of uh jags and land rovers which is the same company and i'd have to tackle this problem a lot in the case of a Jag, someone's driving a, an F-type sports car. They want to see that they're going over 100 miles an hour because they paid <laughs> a very expensive amount of money for a sports car and they want to feel invigorated, yeah. right? Whereas someone that's driving a Range Rover wants to feel that they're not going to get pulled over by the police for driving too fast. They want to feel like they're they're comfortably moving down at the right pace. And both of those dictate different solutions and answers for the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. And we'd put that same dashboard in a Jag and a Range Rover, but they had to capture both of those emotions. So if instead of focusing specifically on the objects and the results but focus more on the emotions that we want to impart with people then that really opens the door for way more solutions than you ever thought was possible so so you earlier when you were talking a little bit about like the 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 blocks people put in front of themselves there's an element of empathy there of knowing like well this is what i have felt and by virtue everyone must in some way feel this right so now you have to and you're in that seat yeah you have to kind of know like well i'm a car guy like you said right but you have to be a specific type i'm a sports car guy i've got my gloves on or i've got a weird hat and then so how do you morph into that do you pull a bunch of people do you just talk with a few of your friends are you always the person uh, you can do it any number of times. The easiest one is if you can relate to them. Mm-hmm. So if if you know that you are designing building for some for bu- designing or building something for someone like you, run with it. Mm-hmm. Right? Like be confident in knowing that someone out there is has similar thoughts or feelings to you and similar right. reactions to it. Go and do that thing and mm-hmm. be confident that you're testing it out for that situation. Right. So now we made a dashboard. I'm a car guy. Let's start on Jag things first. Let's make the dashboard that feels dynamic, engaging, exciting, whatever, right? Now I say, okay, now we're going to use that dashboard for a Range Rover. And a completely different person drives around a Range Rover. We're in LA. We know what Range Rover owners look like. I don't need to describe them. But they are different (laughs) from the sports car owners. 
So now we want to understand who that person is. Let's just deep dive into who that person is. Mm -hmm. We could do that any number of ways. You could watch rap videos where there's Range Rover owners. Mm -hmm. You could watch the Kardashians where they're driving around in Range Rovers. You could stand over, uh, you could stand outside the the valet of the Beverly Center and see Range Rover owners and see what they're doing and what kind of challenges they're living with. You could find documentaries about, you know, luxury car owners you can actually go out and interview them you can do any number of any any way that you can get closer to the person you're trying to create something for and just feeling a little bit more of what their feelings are and their struggles are that gets you in the right direction so when i was working at jaguar land rover some of the to go back to our conversation on confidentiality and secret secretive stuff some of the most secretive information that we would keep at jaguar land rover was actually our profile books on the customers Mm -hmm. so a great example is uh the the Land Rover Discovery. So that's the vehicle that I drive. That's my big off-road truck. I drive a Land Rover 2004 Land Rover Discovery 2. And that thing is, everyone knows that Land Rover. It's like the big boxy one boxy, that, yeah. that put they put off-road tires on it. And you go off-roading. It has steel bumpers, front and rear, and a winch. And I pull people out of the snow when I go places that vehicles typically don't go, right? So that vehicle was designed for someone to go do that right? Mm-hmm. It, there is a profile book and I've looked it up and it's comical, the similarities that the little caricature that they drew for a Land Rover Discovery owner looks like me. <laughs> like it was designed for someone with a certain level of income, a certain level of activities they like to do. They actually even put in the book, they probably have a dog, you know, because you yeah. know that those types of people will have dogs. So how can we support them having a dog going in and out of the car? Yeah. Uh, what do they like to do on the weekends? Do they like to go, you know, out skiing? Do they like to go to the movies? That is influences how you're going to design a seat how you're going to design all this stuff and you you it was like a 250 page booklet of what these customers are like all around the world and then we design a car to fit their needs and their wants that's cool that they paid attention to that you know so many people get in business are just like oh you know i just i just had it in my book that when this person comes in this is what they were asking about and now that helps you two ways. Like the next time right. you have one of those cards, you can call them. Like, hey, you know, I yeah. have that thing you were looking yeah. for. And back to like what we were saying earlier about, um, you know, we don't, li- you know, every you can't quite remove all the variability of the world, right? So mm-hmm. yes, that is a great starting point to understand the customer and create a solution for the customer. That's step one. Step two is making sure that you can actually build it and sell it and make money off of it. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, you, your whole thing doesn't exist right so now you have to understand how can i make compromises i know what the vision is someone that's in their 30s is adventurous with a dog and wants to go snowboarding right Mm -hmm. here's my solution for that Uh oh i ran out of money i'm gonna need to adjust the solution but ultimately it's still for a person that has a dog and is in their 30s and wants to go (laughs) snowboarding and you can work with multiple teams uh to to, for everyone to go be building so what would then the i imagine with the sports car side it's a little sleeker maybe a little more like boom in your face yeah but what are the subtle differences in this 30 year old with a dog that's gonna go uh, you know snowboarding what are they looking at in the dashboard that makes them feel like i'm still rugged yeah i got this cool future dashboard but i'm a rugged person yeah so we could actually uh, look, if someone wants to pull up on their phone right now, look up a 2004 Land Rover Discovery, look at the interior pictures, look at the exterior pictures, and now we're going to step inside. So first thing about a Land Rover Discovery that almost everyone misses, but once I tell you this, everyone's going to go, oh my God, every single button and control surface in that vehicle was designed with an explicit rule that it could be operated with ski gloves on. (laughs) 
I love it. Right? Because if you're yeah. coming off the slopes, you want to get in your car, you want to open the door, turn on the car, turn on the heater, turn on your heated seat, blast the front windshield defroster, and then go. And you're going to want to do that before taking your gloves off. Mm-hmm. So every single touch point control surface in a Land Rover Discovery, one or two, was designed so that you could do it with gloves on. So that's an initial design decision. Now you can look at the car and you'll be like, oh my God, everything is big chunky buttons, right? Now that makes sense less, you know, now you're not just looking at it like this car's weird because it has big chunky buttons, but now you're like, oh, it has big chunky buttons because people like to use this with gloves. Mm-hmm. And and the same rule applies to if you're working on a farm or something like that and you have gloves. The glove rule applies to snow gloves or, or any sort of glove type situation. The second thing is uh, that car, a particular Land Rover Discovery, is famous for its high-stepped roof as it goes further back into the back of the SUV. And the reason is, is that they knew, okay, so you want to go skiing, you want to be adventurous and outdoors, which means you're going to places where the outdoors are beautiful. And you want to see what the outdoors look like. Mm -hmm. So they designed that second row seat to be more elevated than the front row seat, like stadium seating, (laughs) so that your passengers riding with you in the second and third row seats can all see out and see everything that they want to see on these majestic views that you're going on. So that's that's why that back seat is raised, so that they can actually see more things. And I've done that a lot. I've taken people on trails and we're off-roading and they're in the back and they're being bounced around, which gets to the next point. They can see everything. On the back headrest of that car, there's also two poles that come down along the headrest, and those are specifically for the backseat passengers to grab onto them as handholds as you're going on off-road trails so they don't bounce around, right? So, thought of everything. Yeah, and then if you go to the front seat, you can see that above the, you know, everyone loves to put stuff above the visor, uh, you know, the, your your front yeah, windshield yeah. visor that comes down. Mm-hmm. But what happens when you move the front windshield visor down? It spills right it on It spills you. everywhere. So in this car, there's a shelf only about like a couple millimeters high, but it's just enough to put all your maps for all your off-road trails and national parks and roads and everything. Like, Cause you're going places without cell service. So all those elements are built into the car to facilitate someone in their thirties going out with friends and going out into adventures in the wilderness. It's funny you pick that particular car because I recognize some of those things, not yeah. all of them, but yeah. like, and I would tell people like, I want to, I'm going to have one of those one day. And they're like, yeah, yeah holy jerks. Well, mine's for sale. It's uh, $8,800. So <laughs> it's on Craigslist. If y'all want to search for it. <laughs> Someone come get it. Yeah. <laughs> I have a Volkswagen bus now, so I'm going in a slightly different direction, but yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. And it inspires that I want to do something. And now you're able to look at your want in a little bit different way because your want wasn't just to have that car, yeah. right? You're like, yeah, that car's cool. And I want one. Your want was actually, I want to be the type of person that drives that car. No, I want everything. You know, like, like I want for, not, not to defend myself, but yeah. the reasoning. And same thing with Bentleys. I used to think, how gauche and like over the top and <laughs> ridiculous. And then I watched how they're made. And I'm like, I want to own one of those one day. Yeah. Like handmade. Right. And then if, so if I see anything that is made that has specific applications, cool. yeah. I'm into it. I just yeah. feel like that is genius. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. There's, and there's so much cool stuff out there. Once you start to look at like, Almost everything is made because it will inspire joy and and something like that in someone. That's when you can get like a real appreciation for things and really just be like, I like that. I like that. I like that. The greatest part of is when you're going out in the world, finding things that you like, you just end up having more things that you like in your day to day (laughs) life. It's a pretty great, pretty great practice. The the insertion or maybe some people could call it kind of an overtaking of digital aspects folding into that. Mm -hmm. Does it just seem like so 
I always think of this, you know, on drives anywhere in the United States, but yeah. just picturing being the person that came over that hill for the first time and yeah. seeing, especially yeah. California, you yeah. know, you come over mountains and then you see the coast. Montana is a great place for Montana's that too. Great yeah. for that. Amazing where you just go like, what was, the, what was the first human that saw that like? They just went, <gasps> and then do you look at the sort of the world we have now and just see, not to see ones and zeros in a cheesy way, but just like all these unlimited applications. And then does that make it hard to choose just one to focus on for the time being? I don't think it makes it hard because you're getting excitement out of getting all of these ideas. Mm -hmm. The hard part is understanding that the best part of it is actually the idea, the initial idea itself, which you got to, you got to become real comfortable with that. Right. I mean, if you come over a ridge and you have an idea for a technological solution, that's the best that technological solution is ever going to be. Right. Cause you're thinking without limits, without boundaries, your mind is wide open. You're kind of like playing ping pong with yourself up in there and you have to be really comfortable knowing that the idea is always better than the end result. Mm-hmm. But you're going to go down the end result because that's fun and exciting to see how your idea is going to change and morph yeah. and fit the constraints of, of you know, money and time and resources and development and marketing and all this kind of stuff. So first, when you have the idea, first, just live in that idea. Just sit there bathe in it, you know, take it for a walk, you know, write it as if it's real, enjoy all the feelings and emotions that you like of that idea, because ultimately those feelings and emotions are what you're going to carry through as you start to build it. Mm -hmm. Now with digital things and ones and zeros, the way that I like to look at it is with digital or software, the cool part about it is how quickly you can make these things come to life. And not, a, not only how quickly you can make them come to life, but how many different touch points you can have with those types of experiences. And I think you're, you're starting to see technology companies embrace that a little bit more. So when I was working for Virgin Hyperloop One, that is a train system that it's a tube and a vacuum pod. It's a, it's a pod in a tube that's in a vacuum that can go roughly about 600, 700 miles an hour to take you from point A to point B. And then Gavin Newsom just said we're kind of giving up going from here to... San Francisco, does that affect Virgin Hyperloop at all? Or well, they- well, so the way that I like to think about it is if we're thinking about this Hyperloop stuff, right? You're going 700 miles an hour in a pod, which to equate it right now, if we're in LA, a great example is to go from LA to Las Vegas. That's a four or five hour drive typically. Yeah. Or if you're fortunate enough to live next to the Burbank airport, you drive to the Burbank airport, hop in an hour long flight and get there and then get to your final destination, yeah. right? The Hyperloop can take you from LA to Las Vegas in 20 to 30 minutes. Right. So that completely changes your mentality of travel. Yeah. Now, when I was working at Hyperloop, I would ask people, okay, as an example, when do you think that an experience begins when someone is going to board a Virgin Hyperloop one? You know, when someone goes on a Virgin Hyperloop one uh, Hyperloop, when does their experience start? And typically people would go, easy answer. When you get inside the pod, that's when the experience starts. And then you take your glasses down to the end of your nose and just shake your head. (laughs) (laughs) No, I like to talk about that because if they're thinking that, then that's when we want to say, okay, what do you like about that? And what's exciting about that? And they go, well, what's exciting about it is how fast I can get there and how it feels futuristic and everything like that. And I go, great. Now let's capture that excitement around the speed and the futurism of it all. And now let's look at it from a bigger picture. Because my mentality of when this Virgin Hyperloop One travel begins is actually when someone just thinks I want to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. I want to go somewhere. What's a way that I can get there? 
your current mental model is I can get there by bus or Uber or drive there or electric skateboard or nobody walks in LA. So we'll scratch off, <laughs> scratch off that example. Uh, but now if you have a Hyperloop system, you want people to be thinking I could also get there via Hyperloop. Yeah. So now their experience starts in saying, I think I can get to where I want to go via Hyperloop. How can I actually search that I can get to where I want to go via Hyperloop? How can I feel confident that it's telling me I can get there via Hyperloop, that mm-hmm. I will actually get there via Hyperloop, right? So that's you at the top of this ridge looking at the coast. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is seeing the water and you in a boat in the water. And yeah. you're like, oh, <laughs> you know, this is this is the, the journey part. It's Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And, and when you think about it from that large of a picture, you get the benefit of... The way to get there can happen any number of ways. Mm-hmm. I know I want to get you there in a fun, exciting, compassionate, lovable, almost spiritual way. And that can happen any number of ways as we start to build this out over the next five, ten years. What I think is so funny about that is that I've, I feel like not everything, especially in the United States, was built just out of pure like, let's get it done and make money. I think there was a lot of, yeah. let's make this cool. And, right. and then I just think of people toddling through it unaware of how cool it is sticking their gum on the wall and just maybe snapping a photo okay and that's kind of who we're designing so many things for yeah shuttle the herd if you will here and there but just that one kid or whoever it is that looks up and goes this is unreal yeah it's got to make it worth it right it's totally worth it and and i think that's it you could look at that negatively or you could look at that in such a positive way that this is now the best time to be alive, that we're that we're just inundated with all these positive, transformative experiences that we're just constantly trying to outdo each other. So let's go outdo each other and just make more fun stuff that we all want to be a part of, right? <laughs> and then I, then I think about like CO2 levels going up and all these seals dying and the, the like these just cataclysmic events from like... It's not the greatest time to be alive as far as the atrocities that we're not just numb to, but kind of like avoiding acknowledging that they happen. Not to bring like too somber of a tone, but how do you balance those things? Well, so let's think about those types of atrocities, right? Because we're now in a point that we're we're seeing technology and all its possibilities of what technology can do. Mm -hmm. And we're at this cusp of... We now expect technology to do the grand revolutionary things. Like, that's just expected of us. If someone says, I've got this new tech thing, you're like, how grand is it? You know, like, (laughs) you're going in with the expectation that it's going to do something grand that your life could not facilitate easily before, yeah. right? That's the baseline. What I think is really exciting now is that we're, we, we're expecting that out of technology. So now what we're kind of butting up against from time to time is does it make the life more lovable and more enriching as a, lar- as a direct human-to-human communication or a larger human-to-community type communication? Mm-hmm. And in that way, it's, it's actually working out pretty well. So now we can look at like, yes, we are more fortunate to be living in LA with a lot of conditions around us that make us more fortunate individuals in the world. And now we can look and say, okay, what's the elements of the fortune for us? And we can look at not just copying and pasting them to help others, but now we can see what are those feelings and emotions that we have and we enjoy, and how can we instill those types of feelings and emotions and joy in other people? Because it's going to be completely different in Africa or China right. or Sudan or wherever. I mean, it's it's a completely different solution, but you're tackling the same emotional problems and hurdles. Mm-hmm. The this book abundance has a passage where like just put they and i don't know that this was done necessarily as an experiment it was just Mm -hmm. a way to give access to kids there's a hole in a brick wall they put a laptop through this sort of window where kids could come over no instructions whatsoever 
and they just started plinking around on buttons and they'd gather around and then like that team learning we're like try this try hey hit that one no yeah. no you gotta hit the up arrow and within a week they knew how to access different parts you know they're getting on the internet they were playing i just love that that like well for us that would be so weird like oh yeah. there's a laptop in that wall for some right. reason come on let's go we're busy yeah but for a different society that is the most revelatory mind-blowing thing yeah. so that would be a different aspect that i don't think i think about for for you guys to zero in on for that group yeah and and you kind of think about it there's that particular example is doing a lot of things really well and a little bit more subconsciously even so some of the first challenges that they're kind of overcoming is if you're putting like a screen and a hole in a wall in, in a place where someone isn't too familiar with that type of technology one of the first challenges you actually have to overcome is will people feel comfortable just trying and experimenting and failing right, with it right, yeah. right so so us day to day we might not feel comfortable going to a computer in a hole in the wall because we're fearful of our data getting, getting taken away we're <laughs> fearful that if we delete a file it'll ruin the computer yeah. you know all that type of mental anxiety kind of comes around with it but someone uh, virgin to that technology would look at it and go, I don't know what would go wrong or well. I feel that I can just play in this space and kind of tinker around and explore. And that's the first element that they're really capturing is, yeah. is making a space where someone can feel comfortable exploring and diving into it. And then you can add on this community aspect and all these other things. But you really got to distill it down to these core emotions that you're trying to trying to get people to go or experience or do or uplift themselves in, in a certain way. I have, I'm going to present you with a scenario and I'm not fully interested in the answer to it, but I yeah, like the, cool. the reasoning behind it. Cool. Let's so go option for it. one is a, an eccentric billionaire. Yeah. It isn't on the billionaires list. We don't necessarily know. Okay. Contacts you discreetly and says, I'm going to offer you essentially a blank check. Yeah. And I want you to work on machine learning and AI. And yeah. I have essentially everything that is available now yeah. and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. The second one is an impoverished nation. You can have as many people as you want to help you, but the rates are going to be very low. You're working on solar and distribu- distribution of educational items to the people there, however you want to yeah. define that, whether yeah. that's laptops or Great. maybe some new tablet sort of device. I want, I'm want. i curious like, what r- thought process goes into like choosing between the two, because I think they're probably both positives to each mm-hmm. scenario, mm-hmm. but curious there. Okay, so if I were just, if someone just came in and presented me with that, and I was just, and you were like, okay, you've got five minutes. Let's pick which route you're going to yeah. go down to. Uh, initially, what I'm what I'm thinking is, why not both, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that's I, what I was going to. So, well, well, okay. So I'm thinking like, why not both, right? There's got to be a way where we're going to do both. Mainly, and the the way that I'm thinking about why not both is, there's no way that that one doesn't help the other mm-hmm. in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, that was going to be a caveat I threw in though. That once you choose one, the other, okay, the billionaire's offer goes off the table and. Great. So, so initially right now, I'm just kind of tracking towards the billionaire offer on technology, mostly because that's where a lot of my experience is in, is in, you know, high funded technology projects that can have larger social implications. So it's like already that's kind of like a stream of logic and thought process that my mind is more easily geared into. So it's like, let's not put the brakes on me thinking about it. Let's just like, like dive in there and do it. Right. Uh Because the other way is like, I don't know what the community is like. I'm not quite sure if that is actually the biggest problem that they have Mm -hmm. or not, which can be very deflating if you like, Hey guys, I got this great solution for whatever. (laughs) And they're like, great, but we're all dying because Jimmy farts too loudly over there. And you're like, okay, great. So now I'm kind of trending towards towards the billionaire one because that one was a little bit more open-ended. 
so you could really kind of make it make it do whatever you want. The other reason why I'm kind of tied to that is because it's it's really circling around a lot of the conversations that we've been having already, and I can see like a direct way where I'm like, oh man, if if this person walks through that door right now, I could pitch it to them in in 30 seconds, and I think we'd have <laughs> I think we'd get like a hundred million dollars in funding and valuation, <laughs> and we now have new careers, which is great, exciting. So the dog's looking out the door. I'm really hoping someone's gonna walk through that door right now. Uh, but but my mind went down. Okay, if we have a you know a hundred million dollars and a way of looking at machine learning, I think machine learning is extremely beneficial and then it can look in solving this type of scientific method problem that I've mentioned earlier where we can't remove all the variability. Machine learning is really good at looking at all the variability and finding these really weird and intricate trends Mm -hmm. on how to get there. So me personally, I would say I'm going to take that money and I'm going to make, uh, I'm going to make a machine learning model that specifically tries to capture those flow states that we talked about earlier. Those (laughs) ethereal states of flow that we're like, we know we're in it, but we don't know what are the conditions that make it May allow us to do that yeah. machine learning is ripe for figuring that out because you can just if you had a phone that could record what's going on you're at a show you can type in all the variables and you can go this show at this moment felt great the machine could go wow and it could go well the temperature outside was this and this and this and this and and it it'll give you potential solutions yeah you don't have to act on them but you can use them as indicators for further research so I think if we if we perfected this thing that tries to get people in a flow state of feeling happy and positive based upon our current societal inputs, we could then sell that and market it to anybody in the United States because everyone wants to feel more happy, mm-hmm. right? So if we made an app that was like, hey, based upon your day last week, we think you were happy because of X, Y, and Z. Try that out this week and let us know how it goes. Uh-huh. I mean, that's a billion dollar app idea <laughs> right there. Uh, and now what we could do is we can try that out in this market and figure out what works and then you can actually distill that information once you become more knowledgeable about the topic and you can apply it into regions that, that might not afford it. And you can do that in really interesting ways because Africa right now, almost everyone has a cell phone. Yeah. Like little known fact, everyone in Africa pretty much has a cell phone. Like they think it's weird that we have credit cards mm-hmm. because they pay for things with text, right? So, so we can develop this type of information and technology and betterment for our civilization on an iPhone refine that type of technology and concept and know at a core level what it's trying to do and then thoroughly adjust that and adapt that to these other markets and emerging societies to better fit within their emerging society. It's never a copy and paste because it's completely different worlds. But now that we have had an opportunity to explore and do a deep dive on the feelings and emotions that we want to capture, we can say, how can we, well, first we go to Africa and say, do you all want these feelings and emotions of happiness and positivity? And if they say yes, then you would want to go down and, and apply it to that route. I love it. It's almost like a loophole, but a, f- a fully, absolutely well-reasoned one. There's loopholes everywhere, right? <laughs> yeah. The first thing you have to you have to accept is we're in a loophole society, so make make use of it every <laughs> single chance you get. You know? <laughs> Do you? <clears throat> I always liken it to drugs because it's the most like it, it can, you can acknowledge kind of the one-to-one sort of okay. This person wants this high. They are doing this, and they are ending up here. Very linear sort of. I had, man, one time I was in this wherever. It was yeah. this time of year. I did this type of heroin. I shot it in this way. Yeah. And I felt like this. And I've been chasing that ever since. Right. The flow state can kind of maybe be similar. So even if you had machine learning algorithms that told you to the, to the level where like every milligram of any substance yeah. that was in your body, then how all of your uh, neurons in your head were acting that yeah. day. To that level, 
and you repeated it. Okay, I went to this yeah. bar, I did this, I hung out with this person, we yeah. saw the stars, and then we went yeah. and swam here and did this. It doesn't feel the same this time. Well, I kind of have a secret for you, and I know how this app works even before we built it. Okay. Right? So, you're, you're thinking about tracking the physical things that led to you being happy. Uh-huh. I'm thinking about it slightly differently, because essentially the app that we would be building wouldn't really use the... Uh, machine intelligence and machine learning is kind of a trick. Ah. And the trick is kind of like a magician's trick of look over here, look over here, while really I'm doing this over here. Mm -hmm. What we're doing in saying look over here, look over here is by inserting all these elements into this app of saying, I feel good when I was on stage at 3 p.m. and I told this joke and it felt good. No one's ever had a great 3 p.m. set. Well, this app might help you get there. Uh, So you're saying like, I felt good at 3 p.m., right? So now all you're doing is you're being more observant to the times that you do feel good and you do feel happy about it. Mm -hmm. People that are using the app are thinking, I'm going to do these specific tasks and actions to help me feel good. When really the app, instead of you training the machine learning, the app is really training you to Ah, be more diligent about identifying the happy times that you're there. That way you're just seeking a little bit more joy regardless of what the physical conditions are. Because I would almost argue with like you're saying, okay, I injected the heroin at this particular spot and it gave me a high that I've never gotten before. I would say that the heroin was just a vehicle to get you to where you want to go. But ultimately, you're the one that chose the road for that vehicle to go on. Yeah. Right. So you could also say that, yes, you did shoot it up in this particular way. It was this particular mixture of cocktails. But also there was a a huge number of mental thoughts and emotions that you brought right before the needle pierced the skin. Mm -hmm. And I would almost argue that those mental emotions and thoughts are really what got you there. But the heroin was taking you there on a rocket ship to to get there ah. so so really what this all this app would be doing is just saying oh you like all these things and you're pointing out things that you like help me point out more <laughs> things that you like and they go man now i'm up to liking 150 t- things a day and yeah. they're just in a more positive and receptive mood just because they happen to be <laughs> to be pointing out more more lighting things so yeah that's why i was really excited when this investor was going to come through the door and give us 100 million dollars because we could pretty much make this app for 60 bucks <laughs> and then we just bank the rest of the money off of it and the world becomes a better place I'll yeah, I'll make some phone calls. And see what <laughs> <laughs> so what's um, what's next, or, or what excites you about what could be next? You know, you're taking some time to just sort of yeah, relax, figure out what you like, what you enjoy, and that might tie into what we were just talking about with that app of. Mm-hmm. I picture people giving it to a friend or someone for mm-hmm. as a gift and then, then and then really having to stay up on them like, oh, come on, you had fun that night. I didn't really. No, yeah. Mark, that one is fun. You were laughing the whole time. Oh, they've lost our car at the valet. And, yeah, but that was part of it. We all laughed about that. You know, yeah. people would really have a hard time being like, okay, I had fun. I enjoyed yeah. myself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I think... I think really my, my thing that I'm looking for next in the current time... Um, my partner and co-host and I of our own pod- podcast, Bunker Buddies, were restructuring it. So this was a podcast that was about the apocalypse, mm-hmm. um, you know, which the easiest way of describing what we kind of went through is like talking about the apocalypse once a week is just in this current culture and society, that's a little bit too on the nose, right? You know, and like, and on this path of us trying to bring more positivity and joy into our life, again, like I mentioned earlier, it's kind of hard to say I'm bringing more positivity and joy in my life, but I'm setting aside three hours a week to talk about the apocalypse, right? So, yeah. so we, we have really great fans uh, and, and people listening to that podcast and we didn't want to just like say, hey guys, we're going to stop and, and not do this anymore. So, we've actually worked on readjusting 
adjusting it and the way that we're that we've readjusted it is instead of preparing for an external apocalypse let's build ourselves internally with our own self-worth so that we can go out to into any situation out in the world regardless of if there's an apocalypse or not so we took the bunker buddy's name as instead of being buddies in a physical bunker we're buddies supporting each of our own internal self-growth bunker that we're that nice. we're building up like and it. taking out so so taking that from from like a top-down approach we're, we're playing with that we're we're releasing new episodes next month which are going to be super exciting all positive and self-help and self self-growth we've actually worked with some of our listeners and they're like yeah this is great this is exactly what we want to hear so we're super excited about that um, the next project that um, we're, we're writing a couple screenplays, you know, just in the meantime, just because it's fun. Um, but really our, our real big exciting point that we're not sure when the cards will come together on this one, but we we know it will. <laughs> it's just like when it happens easily and effortlessly, we're going to do that. And um, really excited about making a live show that captures that type of ethos. Yeah. Um, uh, an example is, you know, we could... We want to host it at a theater Sunday mornings, kind of like the same slot that church usually fits in, mm-hmm. right? And taking it so that it's it's a live show that encourages self-help and self, self-growth in not only yourself, but the community around you, right? Are you familiar with Sunday Assembly? Yeah, a little bit. So, it's, okay. it's, very, it's very similar to that. And we're also bringing in elements like one thing that I know because I'm deeply enrooted in user experience design is like, let's even think about the show before the show, mm-hmm. right? Like imagine you go to a show, it's, let's say for the time being right now, it's 10 a.m. on a Sunday. Anything could have happened to you before 10 a.m. on a Sunday that might not put you in a mode of receiving of this show, right? Yeah. You've seen it when people go to comedy shows, but their mind is just so scattered with anything that the funniest person alive could be on stage and they're not going to laugh about it or connect to it. I mean, you've that's... The, the way comedians build data points is, you know, city to city, but week to week, and then really show to show how strangely similar a Wednesday or a Thursday or Friday early, Friday, mm-hmm. 7 p.m., people are tired from working all week, even though they're trying to build themselves up, like, yeah. let's go have a night. Yeah. Friday late when they've had some drinks, dramatically different, Correct. almost every time. So, yeah, yeah. So, so, what if we could adjust that, that maybe instead of needing it to be Friday during drinks, maybe before the show, there's a 30-minute guided meditation that takes place, and it's come whenever you feel like it, there's just going to be like gongs and sound baths playing to just inundate <laughs> you with sound and help you clear out and just let the external world go before the show begins. So weird when you mention, and you don't even—I don't even have to mention what the show is. You're just like, oh man, that's different enough, right? And that's yeah. even before the, sh- the show starts. <laughs> um, and you can kind of see how that's—that's that's a little bit of a different track to encourage, you know? Because now you can imagine, okay, I go to that show. Maybe I'm by by myself or with my friends. I've sat here. I've let the world kind of go at ease. I'm in this space. Now you feel like you can talk to the person next to you. Hey, man, what's going on with you? What what kind of challenges are you going through? And they'll be like, well, I just read this book and I got really into crystals. And you're like, tell me about that. And they'll be like, well, I got into this rose quartz stuff and I don't know what, but it makes me feel better when I'm around it. And now you've got this interaction that's beautiful with all the people around you. And mm-hmm. that's, that's really the thing that the nut that I would like to crack uh, sooner or later, but I'm also very observant of just like, it'll happen when it, when it needs to happen. So nice. We loosely touched on it in the previous episode, the idea of a great life. And Mm -hmm. I think where I always come at it from is, and it's a pretty prevalent notion that I hear espoused um, out loud more than ever these days, which is like, oh, nothing really matters. You know, Bill Murray said it for years, but but people, it seems like are really soaking that in of like, yeah, I guess you could just be a janitor and know that like, 
my life when it's over will have mattered just about as much as politicians yeah. or whoever. Yeah. But people that really have to achieve and get out there and, and to look back on a life like I did this, I did this, and I did that other thing, you know? Yeah. So I'm curious, like, when we've talked a lot about it, the idea of value and stuff. So I think I already know, but yeah. just do you think about that concept a lot of like, do you get deflated and go, yeah, no, this matters. I don't know why I'm trying to like be <laughs> joyful and be happy. Definitely. definitely. I mean, it ha it happens quite a bit. I think everyone goes through that mentality. Have you seen the the documentary that's out about the Bill Murray stories? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So uh, the way that I like to think about that is that's also like a very traditional, like Buddhism stance of, of like spirituality and growth and, and kind of where you're going that middle path, almost like mm -hmm. be flow, you know, like be flowing for both positivity and negativity coming in. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to use that as a, as, as the, the base rock foundation, right? Cause ultimately what that Buddhism practice is trying to teach you is everything's going to come at you and it's ultimately your choice of how you're going to react to it, mm -hmm. which is a great foundational point. And, and an easy entry road is saying good things can happen. Let it flow through you. Bad things could happen. Let it throw, flow through you. And that's when you get down to that middle road mentality. And if you watch that Bill Murray documentary, you can kind of see that in his face. Yeah. You know, like he's just, he's, yeah, he's doing all these fun things and interacting with people, but you can see him kind of going through just like, eh, I'm just going to kind of flood through here and whatever happens, happens. Yeah. I would just like to take that, that middle of the road approach and just say, but what if it was happy though? <laughs> you know, like what if we took, what if we took joy and didn't let us directly affect us and took sadness and didn't let us directly affect us, but we also just yes anded it and said, yeah, we're going to do that, but also we like happy things. So yeah. let's just be observant more often of the happy things and seek out more joy and happiness. So you're, you're taking that middle of the road and how things affect you, but now you're just taking the wheel and just going, whoa, there's an exit over there for Disneyland. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go that <laughs> way, you know, and, and bring that and encourage that a little bit more often. And I think we're, we're my, in particular, my challenges that I've overcome to, to take that road and go down the happiness road is it's identifying myself internally to say more confidently, I feel good about going down the happy road, y'all. You know, like, yeah, we could go straight or we could go to Disneyland over there. Wouldn't that be fun? Wouldn't that be exciting? Couldn't we learn stuff from Disneyland? And and if you're around people that say, yeah, Disneyland, those are your friends. And if you're around people that are like, eh, no, you go, okay, well, I'll see you later. You yeah. know, I'm going to go down to Disneyland and go, go have fun and do that without shame or fear or remorse or guilt or anything like that. Fun. There have been a couple times where <clears throat> you've finished a thought and I thought, oh, I have a question about it. And then you've sort of answered that question that I was yeah. just going to have. Like, yeah. That is bizarre. Is it weird or, or or is that how it should be, right? Because like you could look at it as in, yeah, it's weird because society around you traditionally teaches you that that is weird that things are happening in that way. Like or you could look at it just, yeah, yeah, or is it a coincidence or is it that we're both in the spirit of receiving we're both filled up with that joy love and spiritual elements and it means that we're just able to connect and flow in a certain way that yeah. that you don't quite see and one thing that you can do to help you out with it is just change your verbiage right don't don't use the word weird weird implies something is is negative or or detrimental or doesn't fit in the group mentality instead of using the word weird just say that's interesting or unexpected 
<laughs> and now you've completely changed it. It's, it's, I say wild. Like, yeah, wild. wild. Yeah. So, yeah, use it in the most positive way that you can. That's wild. That's so cool that, that we're syncing up in this way. It's not, it's not not possible. It's not not happening. It is happening. I observed it happening. And it's really cool. And I want more of it. You know, so <laughs> make sure that you're just using the right words to describe things even. And that, yeah. that changes your, your mentality on it. Were you, did you ever have a fate or were you a different person? I mean, I suppose everyone was, but then you can be mm-hmm. like, well, I've always been fundamentally kind of the same you know but are you able to look back and be like man i was this then i I disliked then i was too focused on work or too this or too morose or whatever it might be yeah definitely i think there was you know big points in my life when uh, i was focused a lot more on career as the as the satisfying fulfillment force right money tangible goods i mean at a very young age at the age of 26 i was married and had a house on a lake in florida with a boat on a dock you know i mean pretty cool stuff right you know like filling the that 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 need and want um and and what i kind of found was like like i mentioned earlier about like filling up the joy and the love and the spiritual cup i mean that was fulfilling that joy cup every day you know like waking up being with a dog going on a boat you know doing all that kind of stuff but then you feel like that longing for for embed bettering yourself and bettering other people along Mm -hmm. with it so in my career, I've been doing a lot of user experience design. How do other people interact with other forms of technology and things like that? And it took me a comically long period of time. And I think there's a lot of people that still might not have discovered it. So maybe I'm ahead of the curve, but it's such a simple answer. All I had to do was just say, hey, I'm going to quit observing other people and I'm going to put a mirror up to my face <laughs> and observe myself. And am I as happy and joyful and and chasing joy as i want to be Mm -hmm. and the answer was no and then you get a little bit depressed like oh man i'm not as happy and joyful (laughs) as i want to be but then you feel confident that that's what you're doing you're figuring out what you want to be happy and joyful about and you and you go down that route the only real change that i've made specifically in the past couple months that have really changed my vocabulary and the way that i talk about these topics if we had this conversation in october who knows what it would have been um, but really, all it, all it comes down to for me in a change in the past couple of months was I've instead, like I mentioned earlier, instead of just saying, I'm going to chase joy and happiness at these little mini levels, I'm just going to make that the priority. Mm-hmm. Just make that number one and let it cascade down and flow through that. And that, that was really the big change. And I'm observant that most people in our world don't have the opportunities to put their life on hold for a couple months and really kind of restructure their yeah. focal point and go about it. So what I can do in that situation is, yes, I'm saying from the top down, I'm making a positive change, but ultimately that leads me to all these little tiny steps that I can then share with people to help them feel more positive uh, as they go throughout day to day. And maybe in the future, they will make the top down change, but at least in the meantime, I'm giving people more tools to for success and positivity out there all the time. That kind of ties into this is I, I already know your answer to this question, so I want to phrase it a little differently. Yeah, okay, so, cool. So the question I would ask from time to time to guests on this show is that there is a button, yeah. and by pushing it, you erase humanity, not in a painful way. Just yeah. humans are gone, and they yeah. go wherever they go. So it yeah. doesn't mean there's no yeah, yeah, yeah. afterlife or whatever. They go where they go, um, but now the planet is just devoid of humanity. So yeah, perhaps a little easier on the animals. Who knows? Yeah. I think I already know your yeah. answer whether you'd push the button or not. Yeah. But then the secondary thing would be like, and I think you've already answered this as to what the the philosophy is as to how yeah. to make it better, how to make it so that no one would ever want to touch that button. Mm. 
I think no one would need to touch that button if they felt that they had the internal tools to make the results of that button happen themselves. Mm-hmm. Right? But if, does um, what about the harmony though with with the planet as a whole? So it less everyone's happy, everyone's feeling yeah. good emotionally, physically, spiritually, but they also so are the animals, so are all mm-hmm. the ecosystems mm-hmm. and the soil, etc. Mhm. Yeah, I mean, I think that just comes down to that is our current definition of happiness, right? Like your current, you're saying if you press a button, the whole world becomes happy or whatever that might be, right? Well, in this one, humanity would just disappear. But you could alter that button so that, yeah, we've taken the button away. So what is, how would you essentially change the world so that people, even if they saw the button, be like, why would I do that? Everything's great. We Everything's you know, wholesome and no, not wholesome. It's a holistic. I think the reason I think you have to look at why would someone want to push that button? I think that's what it really comes down to. Cause if you, if you have to understand why someone would want to push that button, so then you could remove the need to want to push that button. Mm-hmm. So if they want to push that button, they want to push the button because they think that the world is in a positive place. Yeah. They think the world isn't operating in that way. So the only way that we're going to get people to not push that button is for them to believe wholeheartedly that the world is already in a positive place, that you don't need to push the button. It's the same, it's the same mentality of, here's, here's a way that we could probably phrase what I'm thinking almost. You parked your car on the side of the street and you paid the meter mm-hmm. and you paid the meter and you have a minute or an hour and 30 minutes to go do something. You go to a shop, you come back, the meter still says that it has 45 minutes left on it. You're not going to push the, the, the meter, right? Mm-hmm. You're not going to push the button because you know it's fulfilling the needs that, that you need to have happen, yeah. right? So if people look at this, if we can get people in a way of looking at this button to say, no, I don't need to push that button because I'm actually, one, conscious that I can change my world and the world of people around me. So I already have that empowerment. The button would have done that, but I feel empowered enough to do that. So I feel good on that front. The next front would be, can the world change for the better? through my actions going out there. Someone says, yeah, the world can change better. I can change the world and I can change the world for the better already. I want to do that, right? The third thing that they need to realize is that uh, they're going to have the best way of doing it, right? Because if you press the button, it could happen in any way possible, right? Mm -hmm. So you'd have to then have the confidence of saying, I can change the world. I can change the world for the better. and And I'm excited for the way that I get to change the world for the better. And once you have those three elements, then no one needs to push the button because then they go, I don't want to push that button because I might want to be like, I, everyone in my world might want to be scuba diving underwater. And if I push that <laughs> button, it might just make that not possible. Yeah. So, so if people feel empowered and engaged to make the positive future, then they wouldn't need to push the button. And I think that comes down to nothing on their external circumstances, but that comes down to their own internal circumstances. They have to feel good that they can actually make the positive change in the world. And once they feel that, then they go, yeah, let's just go out there and do it. And they're going to be excited. Like I mentioned earlier that their idea of changing the world was the greatest thing that came to them. And now they just get to go through the joy of finding whatever crazy way that that's going to turn, you know, in the words of the good place, whatever Jeremy bear me timeline that that's going to go along to, to get you to that result. I like it, man. I think this uh, Sunday get together that you put together right? would be real interesting. I think, it, I think it has some potential. It has some yeah, legs for sure. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> this was really fun. Yeah, absolutely. Good Come time. back and do it again sometime. Yeah. What are you doing tomorrow? 
<laughs> what am I doing? I don't know. <laughs> we'll just do it. That'd be fun. Do yeah. one every day. Yeah. See that, if we run out of stuff to talk that'd be about. Outrageous. <laughs> that'd be outrageous. I'm down. We live in the same neighborhood. Maybe we'll figure it out. True. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Ben Ellis, cool. you're a fascinating character. Yeah, right on. Same here. Here's a great thing about uh, Ben beyond just how interesting he is and how much he seems to really, you know, be aware of life and trying to live it and not get too overwhelmed with the things that some of us do and on and on. He just has a great philosophy. Beyond that, he lives relatively close to where I do, so perhaps we'll have him on more frequently because he's uh, the proximity. Who knows? This show is made possible by contributions from listeners just like you. So if you'd like to ensure the stability of this little digital program, you can contribute at the Patreon, spacecave.com, or thespacecave.com, apologies. And uh, there's a link to the Patreon there, or you can just go to Patreon slash David Huntsberger. A couple bucks a month, 50 cents a week. If you feel like the show's worth that, you can get access to a bonus episode Every month, we're bonus behind-the-scenes content, all kinds of stuff. If you want to just help the show in some other way, you can review it or subscribe, things like that, on any of the uh, outlets, I guess, where it appears, where you get your podcasts. Um, You can also tell a friend, or you can uh, email the Space Cave, or pings at thespacecave.com, with suggestions for beer, or guests, or topics, or music, anything like that. Anything you want to share. If you're a musician and you want to get your music out there in the world, why not make 2019 the year you finally do that? Get it out even in the smallest way possible. Start on a podcast. Maybe maybe someone who's listening that's in A&R for some record label. I don't even know how the, the paradigm works anymore, but assuming that has some impact, they're sitting there listening. They've got it on in the background. They're hearing it right now. They could be hearing your song. So if you're looking to get discovered, send it on over to the Space Cave. You can also follow on Twitter, which there's not a lot happening there on Twitter, but just mostly just updates when <laughs> when the show comes out. But yeah, you don't want to miss that. Space underscore cave on Twitter. Okay, let's uh, go ahead and get on out of here. Thanks again to Dan, as always, for putting the show together, and Rob for the theme song, and for you for listening. And this is uh, sticking with uh, the same band we did last week with Ben. It's Film School. This, com- this one's called... Um, you got to look it up. I know I wrote it down. I want to make sure I get it right. And I knew it. I had it in my head, and then I was like, ah, I want to make sure. I knew it. Film School's song that I'm about to play. Dan, have you already started the music? Well, you don't know how long this could go on. I could keep dragging my feet. You don't know. You've already started. Oh, God, I, don't, I hate when DJs, and I'm not a DJ, but they talk over the music. You're like, just shut up so I can hear the song. Uh, it's called Meet Around 10. Thanks for stopping by the Space Game.